0: Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for students, teachers, or parents who are interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod and joined by Brendan O'Leary. Brendan. Good day, Rob. Good to see you. So schools... Are getting their turn in the spotlight right now for having scandals, or more so, I guess, college admissions uh, currently raising sus- not only suspicions but criminal uh, allegations right now in the in the United States, and we wanted to talk. With that.
1: Yeah, it's it's big. It's in the news in the Operation Varsity Blues. Um, I, I think that's the official term, but that's the term that's been flying around a lot. So I'm pretty sure listeners have heard a lot about this. But just to to go over the fact, there's a guy, William Singer, runs a college prep company. So essentially helping uh, parents and students to get into these Ivy League colleges, these talking about Stanford, uh, UCLA, Yale, so big places. And while this guy's doing this, he's also got this nonprofit key foundation that is aimed at helping poorer students. So it's a win-win. Unfortunately, There was something a little bit shady going on in that they were bribing colleges to accept uh, students, especially college athletes uh, who had never actually taken part in the the, um, activity that they were being uh, accepted for. Uh, To the extent of one of the stories I heard was um, two students who were applying for a rowing course they sent in photographs of themselves on uh, rowing machines because they'd never actually done any rowing whatsoever and yet were accepted. Um, alongside this company also had a guy who was literally taking tests for kids in secret or changing the answers of the tests to get higher scores and bribing the test administrators to be able to do this. So these are kind of scams. And and parents were paying upwards of uh, up to half a million dollars for, for these kind of services. And so he has been caught. He's currently on trial and there's up to 50
0: people potentially involved in this scam. So that's the big picture, Rob. Well, there's a few things here. So one is this is someone who's gotten caught. Now, this is obviously my suspicions, but I'm going to guess there are potentially other similar situations like this happening either throughout the states or throughout the world who have not been caught yet but let's just say this is for now based on the evidence this is the only this is the only instance we know about this actually occurring on the podcast here we discuss four different value systems that are in play in education, four different beliefs about what education should look like. We use the terms compliance to kind of talk about a more old school mentality of just do what you're told. Ambition, which is, you know, centered around achievement, proving your merit. Sensitivity, which is centered around, you know, paying attention to the unique individual characteristics of a student, their well-being, what they need to, su- to succeed and to do well and to be well, and development, which we're looking at pushing a human's stage of development onwards, outwards, and upwards, I guess, if you will. So hearing this story, to me, this story is very much coming from this ambition system, which largely informs most of our Western, well, arguably worldwide, informs what our education system looks like, because you have, at its core, the assessing of students being used to filter who gets where in society. We use things like test scores to determine what stage of school or what kind of school is available to you next. And also, we use test scores to influence what kinds of career occupations and jobs you, are, you have access to or not. So essentially, this ambition system is really a, one of its main characteristics is being a sorting mechanism. It's sorting who gets to go to the next stage of school, and it sorts what schools and jobs you have access to. And really, this is what these huge standardized tests with the uh, SAT scores are doing. The issue here, to first just talk about why the schools use these, and then talk about why parents would want to gamify this system, you've got schools who are receiving thousands of applications. How are you going to sort through thousands, if not for some of these Ivy League schools, tens of thousands of applications? Sort for the few spaces, relatively few spaces you have in comparison to the number of people applying. You need something to sort and decide who's getting in and who's not. And a number on a standardized test, you know, is a pretty efficient way to do that. So there, are, there has been a move in these last two years with a lot of Ivy League schools moving away from these standardized tests uh, and making an option to submit your test score, because a lot of schools have become leery to the fact that uh, or worried about knowing the amount of um, abuse or scandals or cheating that goes on for people to attain these higher scores. Not only that, they realize that these test scores aren't the only measure of how well someone might or might not do in their school. So this is the kind of structure for schools that are still using these test scores. If you're a parent, And you're wanting the best for your kid, why would you not want them to have the highest possible score, to have the highest possible opportunity to get in there? This is, I guess, where the moral piece of the story comes in. What are you willing to do to get this highest score? The challenge here is this system works if we believe we're actually sorting students on their merit. And I guess what we're talking about here is their merit of their, we're trusting that these tests can measure the merit that they have as far as their knowledge, their skills, and to some degree, their mastery of what they've been doing in high school. But what's actually replacing that here is the merit of how much cash your parents have, um, because you don't actually need to be intelligent or have mastered what you have been doing in high school. For enough money, you can have someone else write your test. or. Have your low test scores fudged and replaced with better scores or have someone else go write the test for you or just straight up lie and send pictures of yourself on some rowing machines and bam, you've skipped the filter and you've gotten in. So, um, the, yeah, this seems to be an, an ambition problem that's now trying to suss out people who are playing the game dishonestly. Long rant there, Brennan. What what have I missed here?
1: I think you set up the, the kind of parameters that, that, that we're playing in. They're very high stakes, both in the actual tests themselves and in the consequences uh, long term. And by no means is this new at all. The, the old joke of the millionaire father buying a new wing for the school This is just a version of that. It's almost a no-brainer that everybody is saying... This is uh, terrible. This is awful. The, I tried to look for a few people who were defending it, and interestingly, David Mamet, who's really great folk, uh, playwright and, and film director, he's one of the few that actually defends his some of his friends. Because bizarrely, a bunch of these guys are like Hollywood stars. You know, the woman from Desperate Housewives and and things like that. She's involved in it, so there's this bizarre angle to it. But but he's said like. Parents are overzealous this is they they stepped over the line. They were given an opportunity, and they took it it 's like we've caught them. Tell them you're not guilty per se just don't do it again and This is the most lenient um interpretation of this the The guy who set up the system he's the bad guy he's he's got to go to jail he's got to pay do his time. but the parents were really um just caught up in this and and <sighs> that kind of gives them a little bit of a way out because we're all kind of in this and this is the, this is the interconnected nature of the world in 2019 is that these colleges were all the way across the state and these guys were prepping students and using a huge number of different strategies to bypass the situation. Interestingly, the students generally are saying they didn't know anything about it. So one of the students was quoted as, you know, as saying, you know, there's millions of kids out there grinding their asses off just to have a shot at this college of their dreams. And I feel awful for having bypassed that system. And there may be somebody out there who deserved it more than me. So what he says, and and one of the themes in this story is that um, I take comfort in the fact that this may help to finally cut down on money and wealth being a heavy factor in college admissions. And uh, instead, I hope that colleges may prioritize uh, an applicant's character, their intellect, and other qualities. And uh, you got kind of touched on that as well, moving away from the SATs or them becoming just one element. We're going to probably address this over the next few episodes of the show as we try to work out how a healthy ambition school or system can then start to move towards incorporating healthy aspects of the sensitivity paradigm and how can you still keep that ambition and the the um, the benefits of having that motivation and having those goals but also have that just what this kid is saying and what everybody in this story is saying is like this
0: is just this is a system that is pathologically broken what I found interesting from this article was. The, the question of is, is this the end of standardized tests being used as the main measure for university college applications? Because this would indicate in, in our narrative a potential shift, if that is the case, a potential shift from this ambition value into this next sensitivity value in order to sp- still do the sorting for universities and colleges and this would be unprecedented because historically it's been these tests test scores things like sats or your grades on report cards that have been the sole factors that have decided what school you do or do not get into by and large obviously there are some programs that do look at portfolios or specific work you've done but most of the sorting has been done by one or a two numbers essentially um, yeah, in the modern era. And that's been it. In the modern in, era, In the yeah. era,
1: if we look back a couple of hundred years ago, where rich families would send, the the oldest son would inherit, the second son would become a doctor or priest or and so on, and they would go to university. And those were essentially just, they were paid in the idea of uh, mainstream school was to move away from that and to open up opportunities to everybody. But what uh, the sensitivity paradigm will bring to the table very heavily and already is, is that we're not on a level playing field. So um, so there's actually a group of students and parents who were rejected from these schools this year who have filed a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit, against these institutions, saying that they wasted their time, they wasted their money, uh, in a process that was, quote, warped and rigged by fraud. And um, yeah, so this... I, I think we need to be wary of the uh, the article we're relate, uh, referring to here is is one from the New York Times about college cheating scandal. Is it the final straw for standardized tests? what we don't want to do is run you know arms flailing away from standardized tests and into a, a less well-defined sensitivity paradigm that then just uh, you know rubber bands us back to where we were in 10 years time or whatever because we realize that the system that we have moved towards is not as effective as
0: the one we had before even though it may be more fair and more complex possibly so i think two things here. One is, yes, there's a baby in the bathwater here. Of course, standardized tests bring a huge range of dilemmas and problems when you attempt to use them to sort the entire populace of a country and the children into the channels that they get to go to in their next stages of school and work. Of course, there are problems with this. It's As long as it's tied to the same objectives for everybody, it can at least be used as a point of reference for the sorting. So I don't know that ditching them completely is the answer or perhaps just a re-envisioning of what these standardized tests look like is possibly a next step forward to make these tests wider ranging or give a larger glimpse into who a student is. However, it is true that I think sensitivity has something to bring to the table here. As we move away from ambition, which might attempt to reduce a student to a number, what sensitivity is going to do is say, no, 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 don't go looking to our institution's standards to define a child or a student, a teen, a young adult into our schools. We need to go look at Who this individual is, who they are as an individual, and from there, zoom out to see what if our place, our program, our institution, what we offer is the best fit for them. Now, that's a revolutionary step. As we do that, it's difficult to know exactly what that would look like. You know, we're talking probably things like personal interviews, personal portfolios, um, just things that are. Far more time intensive than the sorting of some numbers in that ambition value. So, if we make this step forward and we do want to move away from standardized tests being used as the most important part for sorting whether or not a kid gets into college or university, whatever we do instead is likely going to be very time intensive and probably, from these institutions' viewpoints, far less efficient than what they have right now. And I'll just add one anecdote. I was speaking with Chris Baum, who's the head of the Millennium School in San Francisco, a school that's insanely progressive. We have an interview with Chris previously, and he was talking about their admissions process. And I won't remember all the specific details now, but he was essentially saying, it's roughly a six-month process from the time when a student applies to enter the school until... I guess a decision is made and there were so many things in between, interviews, personal essays that are reviewed, you know, the student story he mentioned even for students who are interested in the school, like the idea of pop-up schools where they would inhabit another space and do a pop-up day or two where students could come experience what their schooling is like to see if it's a fit for them, so much more and sounded like just such a richer process than looking at some numbers, but also insanely, um, uh, an insane amount of time going into that process compared to the more traditional conventional approach.
1: So maybe we're at the stage here where we want to say a development school. Uh, You just described Chris's school, Uh, a development school, and let's... Let's look at 2019. Let's look at what's practical. Chris, um, I'd love to hear much more about that process. And he said something very similar about the teachers when they were recruiting, uh, how long that process took. They're a relatively small school. Are there 100 or so kids? Um, And the question is scaling that up. So what is the development educator? What's their take on this?
0: Well, I think once we hit the development value in schools, schools as an organism or as an organization become very differentiated. And you're going to lose some of the homogeneous nature of schools as we shift from ambition into sensitivity and then out of sensitivity into development. The development schools, each school is probably going to almost begin to look like a unique organism. And Obviously, there will be similarities between development schools that we can see, but they'll probably in many ways look more different from each other than schools in the sensitivity or ambition systems will. I guess what I'm trying to say is schools with an ambition or sensitivity are likely to function very similar, have very similar structures, schedules, classes, approaches to learning. When you move up to development, the schools as themselves are going to look so much different that I think that that will influence their process for who they accept in. And I also think that, again, this might be blue sky thinking. I think it will almost be like very different brands of schools. And I think as more nuance within what a school can offer is, art- is explored and articulated, I think people will just get far more choosy about where they would want to go by seeing it as a better fit for who they are and what they are needing and what the school maybe niches in or is able to provide. It's a pretty abstract answer, but I think the problem is we have you know a handful of development schools to reference at this point. But... Each of them looks so unique. And I think that's what's coming online with this new development value in education is the schools themselves are tuning into their local context, their local environment, their community and culture of who's present in the school and responding to that and using that context and environment to inform what they should look like. And therefore, these schools are looking so incredibly diverse.
1: Yeah it's almost like we're, I'm trying to ask you to describe the software on a machine that hasn't yet been invented <laughs> <laughs> because yeah there'll be there'll be we're talking about two big paradigm shifts there from from this very high stakes efficient but completely broken system and as that opens out to then take more account of the individual students end goals and their strategies rather than just um, putting them into a system that already has that set out for them to 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 a large degree, then the school will be on a feedback loop, and it will change, and it will develop, and yeah, it, it's. Again, I, I still, in my head, the, the uh, healthy iteration of a development school may not even look like a school. And I'm going back to the Illich's de-schooling society idea. And he, he's talking pre-internet, so he still wants physical spaces, but there's no physical spaces. There's no physical university. There's no physical courses they Romanian University. Again. The
0: alternative university in Romania.
1: Yeah. yeah, those guys that are running very much a mentor-based, portfolio-based system, that is responding to the needs of the individual students. But we can't forget that school is, has a societal function as well which they do take into account, of course, but it will be interesting to see how we solve this problem going on. One thing is absolutely clear is that the fallout of this particular news story has to result in some changes. My hope is that, like the student kind of touched on, that the changes will be that um, we look more at character, we look more at overall qualities, but there's obvious and obviously another route where we double down on the security of the mm-hmm. of the system and we just make it the, the harder and harder to actually cheat on these tests rather than address the core problem that there will always be a, and the analogy that I like to use, that there will always be a record Y that you can put on the turntable of record player X that will break the needle of that record because there's always a way to break a system once you have put it in place, unless it's in uh, alignment with the values of the community. And in this case, the values of the community have some pathologies in there that say, we're prepared to, we're prepared. some of us are prepared to go that extra length to
0: completely go against the healthy version of our value to get what we want. And we're also now creating the new problem. And I'm obviously in support of, yes, let's move away from just the numbers into looking at the individual, who they are, what they can do, their interests, their character, their capacity, just as this article mentioned. And so we go, yeah, of course. Then the next obvious elephant in the room that we have to solve is, how do we measure that and compare that and decide which individual is better? And we're now back into this game of we're going to have to quantify or qualify this in some way that we can actually make these decisions. And I don't trust that no one's going to try and game that.
1: Yeah, we don't, uh, if there is a measurement involved, the validity of that measurement as well. So yeah, without going to far down this rabbit hole, if we do start looking at character and intellect and other qualities, they still need to be measured. The DNA of school, the DNA of this system is very heavily focused
0: on measurement. And in summary, if I could try and put a tag on this, you might say something to the effect of like more conventional, ambition-centered admissions programs. If you oversimplify them, they're saying, do you have the merit it will take to do our program? Do you have the number we want? And if you have the number we want, you can probably do what we do here. The sensitivity Value. Now, this is tricky because arguably there's not so many programs at the post secondary level that are truly operating from the sensitivity value. We see it much more in primary school, some aspects in high school. Um, I think it's more saying, you know, who are you? And here's what we can do for you when you get in here. And I can speak to that. When I went to Teachers College, one of the universities I had. They were doing their admissions strictly through interview. They weren't interested in my transcript. They weren't interested in my ambition, merit. It was a discussion, and it, there was a feeling out of whether or not I was a fit for their culture at their school. So I'd say that's an example of the sensitivity value admissions. Hey, we want to know who you are. It was obviously very time intensive for them to have four of their faculty do a hundred plus interviews. You know, each about thirty minutes long, but they did that. I think the development value is going to not throw either of those out, but try and have both and say, yeah, here's the merit we value here. How do you stack up? And are you a good fit for our culture and system and way of doing things here? Because we need to continue. And at the same time, we know this is organic. And when you enter, the system itself will change as well here is what we do here. Are you as an individual a good fit for this system and structure? And in return, here's the insane amount of development we can potentially offer you. So there's a bit more of the reciprocal and cyclical dynamic going on, I think, in development, that it's not just the institution's needs, not more so the individual, but an attempt to unite those two there
1: yeah and i I think you already see that in some businesses when they're recruiting they they're they're observing and even as a teacher you know you you'll often be observed you'll have to be in some kind of um group problem solving activity um, as well as a straightforward interview and as well as you know references that 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 clearly state your kind of merits. So I think there are already analogies out there in the in the wide world that that's poking at these kind of things. But when you're talking about two million students a year, uh, which which is the number I found, um, that that might take a while.
0: All right. Thank you, Brendan, for bringing this this story forward. Thanks, Rob. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group just searching Reinventing Education Podcast. Request, and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there. So far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education, but let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education, From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on What We're Saying.